Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Um, I'm not sure if you're hearing any of this. It's not. I haven't seen it in the news, but I would really like you to go online, look up um, what's going on in the expansion of the federal mandate on Title IX. Um, you really need to get a hold of your senators. This is uh, kind of sneaking in. We only have until September 12th to make a comment to the government in the Federal Register. But uh, if you may recall some of the history on Title IX, in 1972, they eliminated discrimination by sex or gender in 1972, which was really to give equality for males and females. It was never intended for what is now being slipped in here. Um, They're creating a new category for gender identity and sexual preference. And uh, it will allow biological males to go into the girls' bathrooms and locker rooms. It will uh, allow biological males to also be involved in girls' sports. And I think a part of our, those that are part of the community of LGBTQ are actually upset about this because what has has actually divided that whole community. because now you've got biological males breaking all the records that it's really killing female sports. And so that'll be um, put in the register federally as a federal mandate. The other thing it does is it uh, gender ID is being promoted. It'll normalize uh, the belief that you're born into your wrong body. will actually remove the ability of parents to control what their children are doing. They can go for a sex change without permission of a parent. It'll actually become illegal for a parent to intervene. So, look, I don't know where you come on this, but I certainly, if you're a biblically-based, if you're a Bible-believing person, God created them male and female, and all this confusion. Some point I may bring someone up who actually went into a sex change and said, what a mistake I made. All the depression, suicidal thinking. It is, it's, anyway. You pray about it, you'll be held accountable. I've told you what you need to do, so you, you got your choice. All right. All right. Let me, uh, on a lighter note, at least to start, <laughs> let's pray. Lord, I wanna thank you for your revelation. I'm so thankful for what you brought last weekend with William Wood and Chantel about the power of the word that transforms our thinking. Lord, we need to be transformed in our thinking. In Romans 12, where it says, don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and letting God change the way you think so that you'll know his perfect plan and will for your life. So Lord, it's the truth that sets us free. So Lord, we ask that the truth, Holy Spirit, you're the teacher, you're the one who teaches us, you're the one Jesus said would come and would lead us into all truth that would set us free. So I ask for truth to be known here this morning in Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask, I wanna get real basic for a minute and then I'm gonna dig deeper into what science is saying about, I've titled the message this morning, Created to Belong, but why are you here? Let's just start. Sometimes we get so caught up in life, we're just here, but why are you here? And then there's, why are you here, here? You're, you're placed in certain locations. Is this like just, it just kind of randomly happened, mom and dad got together and voila? No. In fact, go study the science, the probability of who you are based on your mom and dad getting together. 
its incredible uniqueness. And so I just want to encourage you that you were made for a purpose and a time. Let's, um, oh, I need my word this morning. Let me grab my scriptures. Turn with me, if you will, to Ecclesiastes. Solomon, who was uh, declared to be the wisest man until he got too many marriages, and then he got all messed up. In fact, at the end, he was uh, really messed up. God warned him twice about not following after false idols and false gods, and that's what he ended up doing to try to please. People pleasing will get you in big trouble. You need one person to please. You can please others, I mean, that's true. But Okay, in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, are you there? Ecclesiastes 3.11, I'll read out of the New Living, but I'm also gonna go back to the King James at various points. It says, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Did you ever wonder why you weren't born 100 years ago or 600 years ago? It's here. So it's beautiful for your time. You know, when it's not your time, there's things that aren't so beautiful about it, right? So the, it's like, you're created for such a time and it's beautiful. That's why he said you're a masterpiece. But then it says he has planted eternity into the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to the end. My wife and I were sitting on our rocking chairs in Burgar Farm, our family farm, just the other day and we were kind of re- thinking back. It's like, how did we get here? <laughs> it was not on my bucket list that I was ever gonna move south. Even though his dad was in the Marine Corps and I was born, he was headed to Korea. Mom came down and I, and I was born at the Cherry Point in the Marine Corps base. This uh, black uh, corpsman came out. I was what, five pounds, how many ounces? Five pounds, 13. Good things come in little packages, right? <laughs> hey, five pounds, he said, Came out, and my father said, holding me in one hand, said, here's your son, Captain. And like, I don't remember that moment, but it must have been a good one. And so, and so I never expected I'd be back here in the South. And then, of course, God has a different plan. And if you read my book and hear my story, you'll know that that was not on my bucket list. In fact, if, if, if anybody ever told me I'd be a pastor, I would have had you uh, drug tested, probably, because there's no way. But mom, we were in, in Lake George on vacation. I was working for General Electric. I was just qualified on submarines. I was operations at this one submarine site. And mom got a word from the Lord that I would be a pastor. So she journaled, mom has journals that go, I mean, she needs a library, a Dewey Decimal System. But anyway, when, when the Lord revealed to me I was gonna be a pastor, told me that, I called up my dad and he freaked out and uh, said, no, you're gonna ruin your whole life. And, and then mom said, yeah, I know. Let me get you the date in my journal. She pulled it out and says, now I didn't tell you because you would have run if I told you that. But I just wanna confirm, yes, that's the Lord. I said, okay. So anyway, not in my bucket list. So how did we get here? It's like God has his plan. So what Ecclesiastes Solomon's telling us, he places this hole in your heart, this God hole in your heart. He's made it beautiful, but we can't figure this whole thing out. And you'll look back and say, I know that I made some choices that were not your plan and I made some that were, but he directs our path, right? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart and don't you lean on 
your wrong under, your own understanding, but in every way acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. He will. He, if you'll acknowledge him, and it'll be good. It may not look good at the moment, but man, ooh. So we were created for a purpose. Isaiah, I like this. Turn with me to Isaiah 43. Isaiah writes this. It's a wonderful scripture about the Savior of Israel, the Creator, the Redeemer. In verse 1 of Isaiah 43, it says, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by my name, and you are mine. Boy, that's just like, Now, for those, well, we're not Israel. Yes, you are. Okay, turn with me to Romans 11. Let's settle this one. In Romans 11, now the replacement theologist, it says the churches replace Israel. You are so messed up in your theology. When anyone says that, says you obviously have not read the book of Romans. So let's just settle this quickly. We have been grafted in. You know you're the wild ones, right? You're the wild tree. But God brought us in and cut, you know, cut a branch off for those that were not in the normal tree because of their unbelief, Israel. And he grafts us in. If you've ever grafted, my wife's doing all this. She's the gardener, grafts things. Right now I got a potato on my sink with some kind of a plant growing out of the potato. Right? I, I, don't know, I didn't know potatoes could grow plants. But anyway, something about being grafted in. So if you look at Romans 11, let's look at... First he goes on, and let me just quickly, for time, he says that um, did the Jews stumble so far they could not be redeemed? The answer is no. He says that in verse 11 of Romans 11. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, which made salvation available to the Gentiles. So the wild crowd could come in because they, he, he, it was his plan anyway. He knew they would do this. He says, I'm jealous. But then he goes on, look, drop down to verse 17. But some of the branches from Abraham's tree, which remember that, some of the people of Israel have been broken off, and you Gentiles who were the branches from the wild olive tree have been grafted in, so now you also receive the blessing God promised Abraham and his children sharing in rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree, but you must not brag about being grafted in. That's where the church of the, you know, the, the, the replacement theologists get it all wrong. You replaced the branches that were broken off, but you're just a branch. You think you're some root system? You're not. Well, you might say, but those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they did not believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe. So don't think so highly of yourselves. Fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Both God is both kind and severe. Goes off and says, So don't be cut off. And so we recognize that we've been grafted in. And Father Abraham, we're going to look at several scriptures here that validate this for us. In Genesis, we know that we were created in God's image. That still is a mystery to me. Then he goes on in Ephesians, it says, Ephesians 3 9 and 10, he says, Make all men see what is the fellowship of this mystery hidden from the beginning. 
Titus 2.4, Jesus gave himself for us, purified us, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. I'm still just introducing, we're not on the sermon yet. My wife says, oh my gosh, look at all those pages that you got. It'll be all right, we'll be done by, by two, it'll be good. You know, I don't know if it's, um, it's age or wisdom or revelation that gets, you know, when you've been through some stuff, you've been through some stuff? Got some scars to prove the stuff, right? When you reflect back on it, it's like, I think there's really two major categories of people. Those who, and whether you're a believer or not, you, you can still, if you're a believer, the situations and circumstances of life, you can see more beauty and more wonder in it. Or you can become disillusioned, chaotic in your thinking, sad, discouraged, and depressed. And that's not what God ever wanted us to be. So I'm hoping this message, praying this message, that once we understand we were created to belong, it does something on the inside. There's an eternal biblical perspective that the world can't get. I'd like uh, the guys to, I want, you, I want to show you a family photo. So if they would pull up our family photo. It's, it's loading. Created to belong. Okay, I want you to see, this is, uh, this is, do we name her Candy? Is that what we do? The girls are trying to name her. This is Candy, was born two days ago, and that's Dolly, our Longhorn. And so I was, I was cutting grass in the back 40, and, and uh, I see this little ball of fur standing away from the rest of the herd, and I said, whoa, Dolly had the baby. So a little heifer was born. We're debating as to whether to call her Blondie. So let's show the next one. Here's the, here's the family photo. That's Red Bull. That's Papa. It's amazing how they do this. If you've got a good herd, my daughter knows more about this than I do. If you've got a herd that is working well, see Dolly is the lead, she's the lead cow. She sets the standard. You don't wanna mess with her. See those things on the end, those spears on the end of her? You don't want to mess with her. And so, so she, she bore, she, uh, the baby's born and Red Bull, then finally I'm watching this whole thing and then we all came back there. I called Laura and the team and I said, come on back, the baby's born. And so Juan, my, my son-in-law, you, you'd think it was his child. He's at work and says, oh my, he's going on, right? And so mama's, I'm watching this process. Mama's over there cleaning her all up, licking her down, getting her all, encouraging her. And then the herd is invited. First, Papa comes over. Red Bull, and not bad, you know? That's pretty good, yeah. And then the rest of the herd comes over, and they all say hello, they lick her, and there's this little fur ball, and I'm, I'm thinking he's got these 1,200-pound cows, and don't step on them. They, they don't. They, and so that's the herd that's there together, and they, they know their boundaries. We have an electric fence that, trust me, you don't want to touch because it'll give you an attitude adjustment, and so... <laughs> But it helps you with your boundaries because they know this is where we're, and everything is provided. They have automatic water, waters, watering uh, there. They've got lots of beautiful hay, feed. That's, so they've got everything they need. It's a safe place. When the coyotes have come in, you don't want to mess. Dolly will take care of them. When our uh, donkey is out there, those coyotes, they will get killed. You can hear them. 
but they won't come in there because you don't touch the baby and the herd will come around and protect the little one. That's how it works in family. So this family photo, do we have one more? I don't know if we have one more. I think that's it, that's it? Okay, one more, okay. No, good, that's all three. So there's our family photo and I want you to see that um, there's a pecking order, there's a purpose, they know their place, they feel secure, there's something about family belonging at every, and you, know, you can see that in a pride of lions if you study what they do. So I just want us to see that God set up a plan and a purpose for belonging. Now we had another cow called Lola. Now I don't know, she must have had, we got her later. She wasn't born to us, right? Yep, got her she was a year old. So I think she went through some baby trauma because she was not a good mama. In fact, we sold her because after her baby was born, she'd knock the baby over, and she'd knock other babies over. And so it was like, man, what's wrong? So we sold Lola, we told the guy, we says, she's got some issues. She needs deliverance or inner healing or something, <laughs> right? And uh, he goes, oh, no, no, that's all right. Well, after the baby was born, sure enough, she started knocking over her baby. Guy called and said, well, we told you. So he ended up having to take the baby away. DSS came in, took the baby away, because that was a bad mama. So when we see this picture, and unfortunately there was probably trauma that causes people to not understand where they belong and where they fit. And so I want us to, to, to look at this in a way that, turn and look at your handout. Created to belong. Now, whether you're single or you have a large family, um, if you don't have a handout, Pat will get you one. You just need one. Whether you're single, you have a large family or not, that, that really the number does not matter as much as relationship. Who's your family? Turn with me. Jesus answers this. Turn with me, if you will. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 12. I often come across this, you know, I've done, when I do inner healing prayer ministries, people say, how come I'm closer to the body of Christ believers than I am to my blood? What is that? That shouldn't be that way, right? So, well, let's, uh, let's take a look at, in Matthew chapter 12, and we'll begin, well, let's begin in verse 46. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside. Let me just make a comment at this moment. At this moment, now we know Mary knew, she treasured these things in her heart, but the brothers and sisters thought that Jesus was a little off there, that he thought he was the Messiah. Can you imagine? (laughs) I don't know how that was in sibling rivalry and all that, but they actually did not believe. In fact, they mocked him at certain points. You go to your festival, let all your disciples see you, right? Now we know what happens after the resurrection and he shows up and you got James and Judas and them is like, oh, you are who you said you are. And they end up worshiping and actually writing books about him. So we understand this, but at this moment, Jesus was speaking, verse 46, Matthew 12, to the crowd. His mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to speak to you. Jesus asked the question, who's my mother? Probably like, huh? 
Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and he said, look, these are my mother and brothers. And then he clarifies, verse 50, anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and my mother. There's something about true family. Now we, obviously we honor mother and father. What he's saying is there's something about following the will of the Father that you know we come into one in the Spirit. You'll be known by the Spirit. And so I used to get frustrated. I'd come back from mission trips, would see blind eyes open, I'd go to visit my brother, and he's in heaven now, and, and uh, we'd sit down and my wife and I would share the testimonies, blind eyes, tumors disappearing, the lame or walk, and it was like, they couldn't get it. It was like, almost not interested. It's like, now we know that because it says those who are in the natural, those natural men and women cannot perceive the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to them. It, it didn't, it didn't, it's like, it doesn't happen in the heart. And so there's something about, so don't be surprised when there's a connection. It's an encouragement, not that you shouldn't witness to your family and keep pressing the envelope there and keep being an evangelist. Yes, living out loud in front of them. But be encouraged that the family, those who are after the will of the Father, there is a connection that happens that is like, it's stronger than blood. And so, I want us to encourage us. Jesus, he wasn't being unkind to his mother and brothers, but just like, no, I want to teach you a principle here. So, we know that, true family. He goes on, if you want to turn to John 8 for a minute, this is even more severe. In John 8, Jesus, they're actually plotting to kill him the religious guard has, has come and they don't like the fact that the power trip is on and they're gonna lose power because everybody's following him and who is this person who's not educated in a way that they thought was the way it should be? So let's look at John 8.31. He has this exchange with the religious folks who come and said, you know, who are you? And Jesus said to them, verse John 8, 31, to the people who, he says to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain in my teachings and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham. See, they're the natural, they're in the natural family of Abraham, the Jewish leadership there. He says, but we're not slaves anymore. But what do you mean we're, we're, we've been set free? Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you're truly free. Yes, I realize you're descendants of Abraham by blood, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your heart for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with the father, but you're allowing the advice of your father, the devil. Father Abraham is ours, they declared. No, Jesus said, if you really were the children of Abraham, he's talking about true children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth which I heard from God and did such a thing. No, you're actually imitating your real father. Can you imagine how upset they might have been? So you're telling us we're demoned, demonized, and we're following the devil. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. 
They replied, we aren't illegitimate children of of himself, our true father. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come from God. I'm not here on my own. He sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't hear me, for you are children of your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's a father of lies. It goes on. So this is not exactly the, an uplifting sermon for the Pharisees, right? But it gives a category of two families with two eternities. You belong to one family, the spiritual family of Christ, or you belong to the devil, and that's where that's gonna end. And that's the truth. That's why we're not ashamed of the gospel. We, we, we have to tell it in love, but we've gotta get it to the place where even the religious guy who had all the, quote, educational training, who were truly in the family, they didn't get it. Now, we know that some of them got it later. We, we see that, right? We, he meets with Nicodemus at night because he's ashamed of being there, seen with Jesus during the day. We know that in John chapter three. He tells him, if you're not born of the spirit and born of water, you'll never see the kingdom and you'll not enter it. He said, how can I go back in my mother's womb? He said, you don't get these things, you're a leader. And so he teaches that, and several of them, we know that, come in the kingdom. And so when we look at created to belong, look at that first bullet there. It says, now that you belong. This is out of Galatians chapter three in verse 29. I have it listed there. Now that you belong to Christ. That's a huge word. Belonging to Christ. Belonging to Christ. You just let that, you belong. He bought you. He thought you were worth dying for. When you get, when you just meditate, I would encourage you to meditate on that. I belong to him. He's, there's something about the family. He's always wanted family. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, once you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Next verse, 2 Corinthians 6, I listed there, 16, it says, God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God, they will be my people. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters says the Lord God Almighty. And I mean, we so randomly say that, yeah, I'm a son, of, I'm a son and daughter. Just let that go into your heart for a minute. Let it go from your head down into your heart for a minute that you belong to Christ. He created you unique. You're not a random, you're so unique. You've been grafted in and now you're children of Abraham and he's your father, God the Father. That ought to do something on the inside. It should be a welcoming of all the stuff we go through, like, wow, God, I, where are you in the midst of this? We, we just read it in Isaiah 43, when I go through the trials and tribulation. Then he goes on and talks about the power of belonging. You see that, I titled it, the power of belonging. In fact, in Acts, in uh, John 1.12, I listed that under number one there, that all who believed in Jesus and accepted, see the devil believes, right? They know who he is. 
but it doesn't do any good for him or his minions. So we know that those who believe in God, in fact, in Revelation, we see that in 12, it says, and all who keep their testimony in Jesus, the devil's declared war on you, right? We've, we've read that before. But here it says, all who believed in Jesus, accepted him, received him, he gave them power to become the sons of God. Something happens when you actually release your life to Christ, you accept him, and I love the powerful testimonies. Last week, uh, the testimony we heard from William Wood, right, of where he's come out of, broken. Being a drug addict and drunkenness, he, he couldn't even put words together, right? And now they just fly out of him after 17 years of being transformed by the power. He gives you the power to become the sons and daughters of God. He gives you power. He releases power to make you a son and a daughter. Like, whoa, so we can't take credit for it, but we can position ourselves in the presence to get more and more of the revelation. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. What can the devil do to a son who's under the covering? Come on. We, we, we got this. We made the devil too big in, his, in our own eyes. In fact, it says in Revelation, one day when they, when they drag him to the fire pit and about ready to toss him, he goes, is this the one that tormented the whole world? How can that be? One single angel grabs that dude and throws him in the pit and locks it up. And everybody's sitting there, this is the one? I mean, if we, we ought to get this right. Romans 16 says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Once you recognize I'm a son or I'm a daughter and I have the rights, now you gotta close your doors that are, you know, that mess around in the wrong places. But once you have that down, it's like, man, we can walk on this thing. And it, there's a freedom, there's a joy, it's not an arrogance, there's a, whew, it's like, yeah, I belong to my father. He, my father's big. I love that, I've told you this one, but I just, it's a picture for me. I told my grandkids, it says, Sometimes we think, man, we are so big and bad in Jesus. <laughs> man, we went on a power trip. The first time we came back from the mission trip and all the demons were listening to us, people getting healed, walking out of wheelchairs and getting set free, tumors falling off. It's like, man, we, we have got this down. <laughs> and the, you know, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit said, be careful now. Don't touch my glory. I don't do, and so then I, I heard this picture of that, you know, the mouse and the elephant were friends, right? And there was a bridge, and the mouse and the elephant are walking together, and that bridge is shaking all over the place, and they get to the other side, and the mouse turns and says, we really shook that thing, didn't we? You didn't shake anything, okay? It's the power of him in you that does the shaking, right? So just remember, not that you're a mouse, but get the picture of this thing that, Remember, all good gifts come down from him, right? If you've been privileged to be able to share and do, you lead someone to Christ. I love what Bill Johnson says. Man, they come, Bill, that was an amazing message. He goes, thank you very much. And he gets home, he says, you told me one day in a coffee shop in Brazil. He goes, as soon as that happens to me, I know. I give it all back. You know, God, they're talking about you. That's a really good, safe place to be. Remember that. Don't get all, don't start believing your own Kool-Aid stuff, man. That just doesn't, they come up and, and it, sometimes it's embarrassing. 
when they start, oh, pastor, you're amazing. And I'm like, my wife and I are like, that's just embarrassing. We know. Okay, thank you, but we know. We know, right? Just remember where it comes from. So look at number one there, adoption. I think you've probably heard some of this before and maybe studied it. In the Roman culture, adoption is even greater than a natural birth, greater rights. Never can be undone. Never can be undone. So this, this, this adoption process, when we're adopted in his family, it starts by faith, but it's sealed by the Holy Spirit. So let, let's turn to Galatians. Let's look at that one. Galatians chapter three. Such an amazing set of scriptures in Galatians. Paul shoots a lot of sacred cows here, and then he goes on and teaches about what it means. So let's look at uh, Galatians 3, and let's begin in verse 26. For you are all children, I'm gonna read it in uh, King James. For you are all children of God by faith. So there's a door opener. In Christ, for as many as you who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond or free, neither male or female. You're all one in Christ. So then we see this, that this whole gender thing in the kingdom revelation of being part of the belonging of family, no. And you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So you, you're pretty wealthy. You realize how much cash your daddy has? Amen. Something about a thousand kills, uh, hills of cows and yeah, I only got, we only got 11, right? He's got more cows than, you know, Carter's got liver pills. <laughs> it's like, this is like a lot of cows. And so he's got a lot of land, it's all his. And so, and that's your daddy. Now he, so there's a bank account. I love what Bishop says. There's a bank account. Have you made a draft off of that yet? You only get there by faith. You gotta write the check by faith, right? And so, and you don't give it to those children who are not of age, who aren't mature enough, because they'll take that money and mess it all up. So you can make a withdrawal when you're mature enough to understand in faith what God has for you. But it's there, right? The adoption process, he says, it's done. Let's read on. Chapter four of Galatians, verse one. Let me lead out of New Living. Think of it this way. If your father dies and leaves an inheritance for a young child, these children are not much better off than the slaves until they grow up. Even though they actually own everything that their father had, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age the father set. And that's why it was before Christ came. We were like children, we were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, everything in its right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent this spirit of his son into your hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, Daddy. And I don't know about you, but if you've had some father issues, that's really hard to call him daddy. There's something very powerful in that, very intimate in that daddy. But when you become more and more free of the brokenness from your fatherless issues, you'll recognize that transition to the fatherhood of God is 
easier. You gotta release that brokenness because we, I love what he says in uh, Psalm 68, he will be a father to the fatherless and to the widow. So all of us have these fatherless areas of our heart, which I'm gonna dive, dive into here in a minute and uh, I want us to look at this because we're all children of God. Number two there it says the children of God live a lifestyle that is not ruled by sinful behavior. I won't have you turn here, but in 1 John 3, 1 through 10, Miss Addie does this all the time. If you're born again, there has to be evidence. If you're still smoking dope, sleeping around, doing porn, getting drunk, there's something wrong in the transition. He, that, he says, look, you can't be doing that. Now, lifestyle, you may mess up once in a while, do, because none of us are sinless, there's only one, him. But there's that place where we can operate more and more in the sinless behavior, choosing the one we love, not because you got to, because we want to. We want to please him, right? And so, I'll just leave it there, but if there's something going on, now don't get all condemned, because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Romans 8, 1. But there's something about your lifestyle is an indicator of the proof of your fellowship in oneness with Father. And she'll, you'll get convicted. When, when before we were born again, I was good at sinning. I liked it. But then when I got saved, it's like, I don't like this. In fact, I really hate it. And I get all, it's like. So anyway, I'll just leave that there. If you want to know who the children of God is, look at their lifestyle. Okay, we'll just leave that there. Conviction there, without getting condemned, any of those listening by live stream. This is not to try to bring condemnation, but bring conviction, because it'll tell you, because none of us have arrived yet, including me. All right, number three. What's this identity crisis we got going on today? What is at the spirit? What is the spirit behind this identity? In 10 years, we were commenting today in the cafeteria before, uh, in the cafe before service. What has happened to the America in the last 10 years? The progression of this thing is so rapid, it's like, good, God, he must be coming back very, very soon. He told us these things would happen. So there's something about the identity, but the spirit that is behind it is unbelief. We know that from Romans chapter one. In Romans, I listed it there, verse 21. Let's, let's turn there. Turn with, to me back to Romans the very first chapter, Paul tells the church in Rome what's going on. He says he wanted to come see them to release a gift, and then he talks about God's anger towards sin, Romans 1.18. And he starts out in verse 19, it says, they knew the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. Just, just watch a calf be born. Watch your four children, my four children. Like, this is too amazing. How does this, I mean, sometimes we're so naturally minded, we miss the beauty of it all. Just think about it for a moment. This creation, you ever try to, I tried to keep a saltwater fish tank. Oh my Lord. The fish were always dying. I was trying to get the salinity right. Gotta get the hardness right. I mean, I'm, I'm down there, I'm like, I can't even keep a fish tank going. How does he keep the universe going? All the air we, I mean, come on. That's why he says, 
you gotta be brain dead not to recognize there's a master savior who created everything. That's what Paul's saying, he goes, do you see that, he says, they refused, even though he made the invisible qualities relevant to them, just look at the sunshine and they coming up, come on. I mean, it just takes too much faith to be leaving all this unbelief. So they have no excuse for not going, knowing God, verse 20. Yes, they knew God, but they would not worship him. They would not thank him. And they began to think of foolish things. Here's the door open. That unbelief cracks the door. They won't worship him. They won't thank him. They'll create all these crazy things about evolutionism, you know, just bizarre thinking. And it says they gives them over to a reprobate mind. They get become more dark and more confused. And you read the rest of the progression of this, what happens, how ugly it gets. So this identity crisis today is one of unbelief. So I've been, you know me, I like when science um, shows things that the Bible already proved or says, right? In fact, there's really some really good archeological finds in the last five years of what they found out of things, you just go on and look at Israeli archeology span proving the Bible, things that they said couldn't be true and then they find it. <laughs> it's like, so I've been studying what's the science behind belonging? The psychologist nerds are looking at, you know what? Um, men need to belong, men and women need to belong. <laughs> this Bible says so. Um, most of the early findings around belonging haven't changed. People need to have a sense of belonging. The desire for interpersonal attachments is as fundamental to human motivation. And then they do all these studies. What happens if they don't belong? There's a study done in 1995, Baumaster and Leary's landmark paper, The Need to Belong, The Desire for Interpersonal Attachments as a Human Fundamental Motivation, firmly identifying the universal need stemming from ancestral roots. Yeah, we were created in God's image. There's a hole in your heart. If you don't know God, you're gonna search for it. Loneliness and school violence, then I decided, well, what's this related to? How does this go with all this craziness? So then, some of you probably have studied this or heard about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And so, he, he in 1943 put a paper out, The Theory of Human Motivation, and he has Maslow's triangle, I'll just quickly, once you have food and your basic needs, you have food and water, second one is shelter and safety. Once you have food to eat and you feel secure and safe, something else happens. There's a strong need to belong and be in love. And that then opens a door. Once you belong and are in love, have your food and fellowship and safety and security done, then it can allow you to go into higher heights of thinking, esteem, self-esteem, creation, artist, you know, artistic things. So. So when we look at the basic needs of what that is, and we recognize biblically, God already said that. He said, I created everything for you. Just refigure out that you belong to me. So then they did this paper study, and what is this sense of belonging? The need to belong, this was done by a group of psychologists, known as, there's a statement known as belongingness, refers to the human emotional need to affiliate with and be accepted by members of a group. And then he went off and studied gang membership. They went and studied peer groups. 
children groups, church organizations, religious, secret societies. They went and studied like, what is this? And it all stems from we want like fundamental beliefs together to be accepted, to be known. Of course, we know God created all that. Gaining acceptance and attention and support by the members of your group. The need to belong to a group can lead to actual changes in behavior, beliefs, attitudes as people strive to conform. That's why, you know, when you see people, let me just, you'll tell them from a different generation, the purple hair and, you know, that, what is that, tattoos, right? That wasn't my generation. In my generation, um, it was the pointed shoes, the leather jacket, and the, the, the hair that came down like this, and I had a record of uh, smoking seven cigarettes at one time. I didn't tell my mom that. I didn't like it. I did it once. It was like, oh, this is terrible. might look cool, but, man, it doesn't taste cool, and it doesn't, <laughs> right? Before I was born again, and you did some things too, so don't sit here and say, what's wrong with that pastor? I, I see that look, right? <laughs> but what we do for peer group stuff, right, is like some of it is pretty bizarre. And when it, they look at teenage minds, you know, they say that the brain is not formed, I think it's till 25, not fully formed. And so I remember... I was, I was 16, and I was working at, a, at a, a place up in Pennsylvania, a boarding house in Pennsylvania, friends there, and um, I, was, I was trying to impress this girl. And um, so me and my friend, <laughs> it, wasn't me. it wasn't, no, it was just before I met her. I met her at 16, and I, that was it. But just before I met her, that summer, uh, there was this, so my friend and I, he was dating this girl. I was trying to like this girl anyway. So we're at the Narrowsburg Bridge, and you know, teenage boys are trying to prove who they are, big and tough, and not a lot of brains. So somehow we got to, we we're looking down, we're sitting over the Delaware River. It's 100 feet, we estimated, to the, to the river below. And we decided, hey, maybe we ought to jump this thing, jump off this thing. And I'm like, when I, I went back there when I was grown up, <laughs> and I look, I said, what the heck was wrong with us? We didn't know how, were there rocks down there? We jumped, man, my bathing suit was up around here. It's a good thing something, you know, anyway, I'll just leave it there. So, but can you imagine if I, we went, it was crazy. You think about this, what's wrong with us? It's like, so this, I, this search for, Identity, masculinity, you know, proving who we are, you know, this being bulletproof. You're not. It's crazy. And so there's something about this belonging and wanting and the peer pressure and the desire to belong and to be loved, to be cared for, to be, be impressive, I guess. <laughs> it did actually impress this girl. She thought we were kind of loony. <laughs> I would never do that. Good for you. That's probably good. Okay. I just want us to see... Um, I then started to dig in deeper. Now this is gonna get dark for a minute, but I want, I'm making a point. I started looking into the science of belonging and why people who don't belong, what happens to them. And it took me into the articles of the mass shooters and the psychopathology behind it. Are they mentally ill or are they demonized? I'll let you decide. But when you start to, they studied the 25 most notable mass murderers that have come into our society in the last few years. And they started to find some very, very interesting correlations. And so, are they mentally ill? Is it demonic? 
Is it both? Well, we know from Mark 5, you remember the demoniac who's breaking chains and howling at night? They got it right? Well, was he mentally ill? Well, no, he was demonized by 3,000, 6,000 demons, depending on what a legion number is. So, but we do know that when Jesus set him free, he was free, became an evangelist, right? Or went around evangelizing. So I'll let you decide, but when you start looking at what happens to a child that is not protected, not covered, or is indoctrinated in the wrong way, hello? PED, they call it, persistent emotional disturbance is a term. Another one is TSRET, you don't need a transient stress related to emotional turmoil. They said one, you know, transient stress, we all have that, that's the human condition. But there's something about persistent emotional disturbance. Childhood, if you study, they did several studies, and I'll just call this guy Tyler. He's a 19-year-old unemployed dropout He was teased because of his size and his voice. He becomes really angry, has low self-worth. He has these angry rants on social media. Hatred, blame, starts looking at imagining violence, revolution overthrowing, emotionally disturbed, and then they start finding out his fatherlessness. Grew up in such a place, no father in his life. More history, broken family, no structure, no lack of, uh, total lack of morality, no fairness, no boundaries. Then it goes on, it says, well, what do children need, this study? Children need to grow up in an emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually secure environment. Now, they don't all do that. All of us probably have some level of trauma that occurred in our lives. I can relate, but that doesn't mean that God can't set you free, <laughs> right? We've seen that all the time. And so if you haven't been to prayer ministry, sign up. See Pat. Yeah, we're booked till December. That's all right. We're raising up teams. God will help us. Okay. The need to grow up with that emotional security is to be deeply cared for, to be connected, and to know, and to be known, and to be given purpose is what takes place if a family structure is positive. Now, I've done enough prayer ministry to realize God usually provides at least a mentor in the mix. Could be a stepdad, could be a spiritual father or mother, could be a grandpa. He tends to, could be an aunt. We heard Lisa's testimony last week, right? So there are those that step in the gap and the Lord does something in that mix. But one of the conclusions in this deep void of identity, this need that's not being met in a child, One conclusion is fatherlessness of the broken and never formed family. So when they started looking at the 25 most cited school shooters in this recent study, they came from incredibly broken homes, divorce, separation, criminal behavior throughout the family line, substance abuse, violence. The fathers were needed to bring authority and discipline, teaching self-control, teaching empathy, and teaching a young, I'm gonna focus on young males for a moment, because that's, where it's happening, teaching a young man how to be a protector. How to be a protector. It's part of the male reason that you're alive. Women look for security, keep the nest, cover the children, and the male is the protector. If you don't like that in ideology, go read the book, okay? And so the authority of discipline, teaching that control and love, We got a book study, it's a study called Boy Crisis, Who Am I? 
the lack of identity, the lack of a healthy male masculinity. What we have is all of these shooters had damaged masculinity. So they get to this place, they're isolated, they're alone, let me go get a gun and I'll be a man. And then they wanna be known. So they'll become notoriety and do such horrible things. See, a father covers. Now I realize those who are in single homes, there's a parent can cover the child. When that roof is open, the demon can come in, the darkness, the unbelief, the doubt, the fear can come in and damage that child. That's why when we got grandmas or mamas in the mix that are praying, covering, man, that is powerful. Getting other believers to pray in the midst, cover my family, bring my, my prodigal home. Even Barack Obama and George W. Bush promoted national fatherhood initiatives, wanting strong marriages to promote strong bonds between fathers and their children. But we got systemic government issues that have been created. Marriage penalties for the welfare system that promotes singleness, doesn't promote marriages. What's wrong with us? That's demonic, that's, that's stupid, it's not, it doesn't line up with scripture. Now this, this is a study, it's an interesting article, you can look at it. On May 27th, 2022, after the Uvalde, Texas shooting, a New York Post article written by, the, the author is Adam Coleman, he wrote the book, Black Victim to Black Victor. Interesting, very interesting article. And he can say things that others can't say, and I like it. He's also the founder of the Wrong Speak Publishers. This woke stuff that's captured the environment. We gotta stand up and say no. These pronouns, no. We overlook a significant, this is quotes from him. We overlook, others are afraid to talk about it. We overlook a significant finding in the mass shootings, fatherlessness. Video games are blamed, gun control, we need the social media. Yes, they're factors, but the broken young men are showing such disregard for life. Fatherlessness opens the door for no identity, confusion, and the demonic. Not, they were not born murderers. Life experience led them to cross the line. And he goes on, he says, without a father you lose that identity. We name, need same-sex parents a father needs to model for a boy what it is to be a man. A woman needs to model for a woman, a girl, what it means to be a woman. You can try now, I get it, single moms, you, there's so many of them, it's crazy what's happened. We've, we've sown this um, whirlwind and now we're reaping it. In fact, one of the articles he, he points out says, these shooters are actually more suicidal than they are homicidal. They just wanna end their lives. You want to go out in glory and be famous. Well, some of them don't. They go into this place of fantasy, escapism, drugs, and other behaviors that are damaging. A statistic, the availability of guns since the Columbine shooting is the same rate that it has been then it is now, but yet mass shootings are increasing. What has changed? He goes out to point this out. We now have three times the rate of single parenting since 1960. 25% of white non-Hispanic families are raising children with one parent. But in the, in the black community, the African-American community, 66% is now three times what it was since 1960, raising children in, in a fatherless environment. 
The father is not providing what is needed, and it's not just money. The courts will say, well, make them pay. Okay, I believe that. You father, you, you should be there, but this more than that. We're now so, just look, step back and look at the statistics. What have we done? He says in Galatians 6, 7, God will not be mocked. You sow and you will also reap. And we've, we've stuck our face, fingers up in face of God and said, you know, we're not gonna do it your way, we're gonna do it our way. Go read Deuteronomy 28. What are the curses that are said will be coming if you do these things? And you can, un- you can see every one of them. The rate of money that's owed, the damage to family, the damage to crops, everything. It's crazy what started. 1960 to 1970, my generation, the sexual revolution, sexual liberation, sex outside of marriage, no longer needing monogamous relationships, same-sex agenda, the pill, public nudity, premarital sex. Today, there's more people living outside of marriage than in marriage, first time ever. 1973, we legalized abortion. We labeled it family planning, plant parenthood. Give me a break. Prayer out of schools. In 1962, they took prayer out of schools. In 1963, they took Bible out of schools. In the court cases of Engel versus Vital, the decision changed America. The critics will say, this changed America. You can plot the homelessness, you can plot the homicide rates, you can plot all of it. Go back and look at the statistics of since we took God out of schools. Look at what's happened to our society. In the case of Abington School versus Shem, disallowed Bible reading in public schools. And yet several hundred, hundreds and hundreds of years before that, actually thousands of years before that, it was the basis. You tell God you don't need him, okay. The sexual revolution brought in all of these crazy results, AIDS, STDs, teen pregnancies, millions of abortions. We've normalized sin and we break covenant curses and then we wonder what's going on with us and then we try to fix it with man's ways. Not gonna happen. That's why we need revival. So this selfishness and self-centered sin has opened the door to destruction and now we got the murdering spirit and the spirit of suicide, which is self-murder. I know I told you this was gonna be real light, right? All right. Um, Let me try to lighten it up and we'll finish here. Back to your outline. I just want you to see that belonging has tremendous positive results. And the lack of not belonging has tremendous negative results. That's why you, as the sheep who hear his voice, you have an ability to mentor. Many of you are doing that. You're leading people to Christ. You're mentoring others. You're stepping in the gap. You're finding, we need spiritual moms and dads. I can't tell you, you know, I, I didn't know any of my grandfathers. And I didn't know my other grandmother because she had died when I was a baby. My one grandma my dad's father, and my mother, they were really major influencers in my life. And so, but then God comes along and brings Pastor Dropa after I got saved, mentored me for six years in my wife in the Christian Missionary Orange Church. And I was like, wow, I, I learned things from him as a spiritual man. He was a grandpa in his old, in his, when he retired, 92 or something like that from the church. So they, he, he stood in the gap. And then, I get mentored by Steve Mattis, another pastor here. And then Jack Taylor comes into my life. 
sitting right here one day, I said, Papa, I need a, I need a dad. And he, when I look at the darkest things that happened in my life, the murder of my son, the loss of things that happened, if Jack Taylor was not in my life, I might not be here today, I'll tell you right now. Because some of the things I was thinking, if justice system doesn't work, I'll work it. And so I just tell you that you need spiritual moms and dads, every one of us. So think about that in your role. You've learned some things. You've learned some things in the, the, the truth that's setting you free. You don't have to have it all together because none of us do, right? But in the journey of this, standing in the gap of the, so I want to encourage you, talk to Richard. Talk to Suhaiti. Find out the young people's names. I've asked them to actually write them down and give them to us. The children that are up here on Sunday mornings, find out their names. Encourage them. I realize we've got to get all the boundary stuff right, but start praying for them. Start interceding for them. This generation is under assault like never before, and we can stand in the gap. We can do that. And so... I love the evangelism that's going out. We, we're gonna, we wanna also have intercessors that'll join on, Monday night, on Tuesday night and also on Monday morning. If you wanna be an intercessor for evangelism, it's what, six a, uh, 8 a.m. 8 a.m. Monday in the prayer room, starting this Monday, tomorrow. So tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., they'll be here praying, Lord, we want a spirit of evangelism to capture this region. What if it's your family? What if it's your children, your grandchildren that you're praying for, right? And then Tuesday night, they're gonna go out from six to eight, meeting in the cafe. And then we have this process where once they're saved or coming in, invite them, bring them in. There's something about, I love the report I get of how you behave when someone comes in. The hugs, the welcoming. Now, I realize we scare some people. You know, I, you know my story, what the heck's with the flags? What's this falling out of, ho, ha, ho. Like, what is that? I never saw that in church. Oh, I get it. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely the wild bunch. What did you call us, Molly? We're the uh, Pentecostal hippies. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we're different, right? And so, okay, so there's something that we want to be encouraging. So, be a welcoming. If you see somebody you don't know, go find it. Hello, how are you? How you doing? What's your name? I don't know you. So I want us to be more and more family. When Amy Vinsek did her school paper on what are the attributes or the characteristics of Global River, one of them was family. But that takes promotion. It only takes one bad apple to spoil the bunch. In fact, they've done a study that they get, a bad apple gives off a hormone that will actually cause rot throughout the whole thing, causes them to ripe faster. Is that scripture about one apple spoils, or one bad cow is a bad mom? Yeah. Can mess up the whole herd. So, okay, praise God. I wanna do a quick uh, altar call. So I wanna invite the ministry team, if you'll come, if you know who you are, you're trained, come on up. And the altar call this morning I know that God has one big family and he wants a bigger family. And he tells us we're the living stones that are part of the temple. So there's two altar call invites this morning. One is a desire for the revelation, a greater revelation of belonging to Jesus. Uh, I think all of us like, man, I, I want a deeper revelation of belonging. Once that 
And if you meditate on it, I, I would really encourage you to do that. Meditate on that belonging place. But if you would like greater revelation of belonging, just come and let someone agree, two or three agreeing and touching. The second is the revelation of friendship. In John 15, I probably shared this with you, when we were in the tent and the first night that Jesse Green was here, and uh, I think we baptized 80 in the, in, the, in the horse troughs, right? And I think after the 80th person went in, it was the end of the night, there's only a few of us left, and I looked at the water and I said, wow, like 40 people have been in that tank, and it looks like it. But I had a revelation that morning that I said, you know, I was reading in John 15, it says, no greater love than this that a man would lay down his life or a person would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus did that because he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you my friends and I'm about ready to lay my life down. You were worth it, he died for you. And I realized I have not always been a good friend. And I said, I need to be a better friend of the Lord. I need to want to go in a level of depth of friendship that, and so that was my heart. And so I read that scripture, I got convicted. And at the end of the night in the tent, the Lord said, so you wanna get baptized for that? And I'm like, do you see that water, God? I like took a bath with 40 other people, I don't know. He says, so you're gonna let dirty water get between you and a revelation of the depth of friendship. I see, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm having this argument with the Holy Ghost in my head, you know, and Jesse's there, and I said, everyone's gone, so it doesn't look, I said, Jesse, would you baptize me that I would be a better friend of God? And she went bananas. She goes, oh my God, I just did a blog on this this morning about the friendship of God, yes, yes. So like, yay. So the second altar call is a revelation of what it means to be the friend of Jesus. Friends share secrets. Friends go places. We sang a song, I'll go wherever you tell me to go. Really? Downtown? Mozambique? Columbia? Where will you go? Well, if you're called, well, I don't have the money. Well, I, that sounds like a bunch of excuses that friends don't make up. They'll come in the middle of the night. They'll be there when you're in your deepest, darkest place. So the second one is, Lord, I want a revelation of how to become a friend. So let's stand. Lord, I thank you that you have made it clear that you've created us to belong. And you want us to have a revelation of what it means to belong. So Lord, I pray that there would be a release like Paul promised, he prayed, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in Christ would be yours. God, I just pray for that supernatural rhema breakthrough that shifts the atmospheres of thinking that we become revealed ones, sons and daughters. I belong to him, bought with a price. And then Lord, show us how to be your friend. Tell us the secrets. Show us the mystery. God, I thank you. Thank you for raising up a people that are hungry for you. Someone said to me this week, actually it was said in men's group, what a privilege to be in this house. There's so much wisdom in people. You can ask a question in the depths of the revelation. This person said, that's why I'm here. So Lord, I thank you. That, that is your gift to us 
for greater and greater level of truth that will set a world free. So Lord, I pray for those that have been listening by live stream as well. Lord, that no offense and no bitterness, but truth would open up doors. I pray for single moms and dads that are raising children in the midst of a very difficult time. That you'll bring mentors, spiritual moms and dads, women of honor and men of honor that will stand in the gap. And I thank you, Lord, now in Jesus' name.